Welcome to the ninth episode of the ABC podcast, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. On today's episode, we are focusing on The Regulators by Richard Bachman. Spoilers are between the hour and five minute mark and the hour and 58 minute mark. So quite a bit in there, uh, but we'll also discuss the history behind Bachman and some ties that he has with another very famous author. So we hope that you enjoy it. And without any further ado, let's hear it. Well, Tasha and Russell, they both love reading books. Tasha and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the ninth episode of the ABC podcast, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell and she is Taja. Hello. Hello. On this episode, we are featuring um, an older book called The Regulators, written by Richard Bachman. Uh, Very excited to get into this. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I've got to show the book. Show the book. This cover is like, there's a lot going on. (laughs) It is pretty badass cover art for sure. But before we jump into that, uh, it's been two weeks, so it is time to catch up. So, Taja, how you been? Oh, been good. Um, I had, let's see, one of the weeks I was partially on vacation for, and then um, my post-surgery doggo was doing great and then is had a little bit of a setback, so that's been a bummer. Um, and yeah, I, this is a really crappy update. I'm not <laughs> good at this. What's new? Not much. Um my birthday's tomorrow. That's exciting. That's true. Do you um, have any special plans for your birthday this weekend? Not really. No, there is an axe throwing place in Burlington that I like would really like to check out. So maybe I can make that happen, but not really like dead set on anything. I don't know. I'm not like a huge birthday person. It's yeah. like, it's not an age thing. I don't really care how old I am. I just like not really... I don't know. Not really ever been that big of a deal to me. So, so uh, and more yeah. importantly, uh, what are you doing today for Bryce's birthday? Oh yeah, that's right. Um, not much. We're just hanging out. Me and her. <laughs> um, she, yeah, she's kind of a struggle bus right now, but um, she found herself a comfy quasi sunspot. So hopefully she'll be chill during the podcast and won't bark. Um, who knows? Maybe she'll make a, a birthday message for all of you listeners. We'll see. She definitely let her voice be heard in the last episode, yeah. um, which is good because, you know, I've got the cat up here with me. That's a big news for me. I'm now officially in the office, you. Um, which in, if you are watching on our Twitter, it's pretty incredible. You can see this giant white wall behind me. Yeah. Um, what is Is that a painting behind you? Uh, so that's one of those like oh your map thing yeah yeah, yeah cool. um, like mine <laughs> yeah that's uh, funny. That, that was one that Amanda's family got us where you can put like pictures in it mm. and it's, like the shape of the that's awesome country. of the country or whatever yeah. yeah so that one's just Europe from that trip we took a couple of years ago so nice yeah she did that uh, and then like afterwards I was like hey I have a picture from England because I went without her once and she was like that's too much work I was like, that's fair. Oh, um, <laughs> adding this one picture yes that's ours that's, is just little magnet like 
Yeah, we have we have one of those in the uh, bathroom downstairs nice. where you where you mark your travels. Yeah, I think those things are super cool. As far as this side of the world, uh, but yeah, so I'm in the office and this is where the cat sleeps now. So she might yowl too. So you know, oh, we're just kind catty. of an animal podcast yeah. at the same. Same time. I feel like she's made a, well, I mean, I think I called her out that one time. She's walking up the stairs. Or down you the did. And, and she also has been in the background. She's very vocal. Uh, she's an mm-hmm. old lady. So she likes uh, to be paid attention to. So hopefully she also sleeps. <laughs> she's a diva. This, but we'll see. An old lady diva. Absolutely. Um, as for me, I had uh, my own struggle bus moment. I had my first did not finish book uh, <gasps> in I don't know how long. Oh my gosh! Tell me more. So it was. Uh, it was from the Fifty Cent bin. Uh, uh, yeah, I think maybe the first mist- not mistake, but I feel like Fifty Fifty bin or Fifty Cent bin is probably like a fifty fifty chance I, of being shitty. <laughs> I think that's fair for a fifty Fifty Cent bin should just be called the Fifty Fifty bin. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So like it, it, it looks. It was newer. Um, it was called I Am No One. Hmm. Um, and like it wasn't written poorly. It was just. I found myself like trying to care about the character and I just really didn't. Um, mm-hmm. It was about this older guy who like, it doesn't matter. He's like a college professor and like, I just couldn't connect with him. Is it, and, was it like a fantasy? What was the genre? No, it was, it was, uh, it was just straight fiction. Um, huh? It was about him like coming back to, to New York after living in England for like 10 years and reconnecting, but also being like really alone and then like kind of boring he starts like somebody starts like digging up his online history and like giving it to him you know secretively in printout like all yeah um and I was like okay this could be going somewhere but then like I wasn't turning the page in enjoyment I was turning the page like when's it gonna get better when's it gonna get better it's like a 350 page book and I think I dropped out about 150 Oh, so I gave it a solid chance. Yeah, um, that is that is but, a solid. And especially with the minimal investment of fifty cents, I was like, no, this is you know we've talked yeah. about this. Once I get mm-hmm. to a point where I don't pick up a book for three or four days, um, especially at this yeah. point, I, I know that that book is dead. Yeah, that book is stopping me from from reading. Um, yeah. So yeah, gave up on that. Got to bring it back to the store. Try to get my quarter. From my we'll see. Bummer um so so that happened um we uh we we like have a bunch of junk in our basement as you know because I collect junk so yeah. uh, years ago uh the, my boss that I was working for was he was building was being torn down that he owned and there was this old piano in it did it did he get rid of it to the work? so I took it and this was like 10 years ago it's been living in the basement and it's this old wooden upright that is weighs 10,000 pounds uh like not literally but close enough to get in the basement okay. we just like put it on the edge of the bulkhead and slid it and like Oof. that was that it. sounds miserable it was um so like there's keys broken on it had to be tuned and like when you hear you know a piano tuner charges you four dollars per key you're like oh that's not bad but there's it's a lot of key. keys yeah <laughs> so it's like 350 dollars to tune this piano yeah there's broken pieces on it uh so like it would have play? to be repaired as well it, it like played but no, yeah, I mean, to no. either of you play, you and Amanda no. don't play the piano. <laughs> no, um, I like my brother learned when we were younger. Okay. Uh, and I like qu- quasi learned uh, from him, but like 
our friend Soonish plays. Uh, okay, and, I was gonna say one of your buddies went. Yeah, yes. and when I when I play in front of him, like the few things I know, like chopsticks or <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> the thing everybody uh, knows how to play in the piano. He'll always be well. That's he'll be like that's wrong. And I was like, great. <laughs> I thought it sounded fine. Um, <laughs> it's not so the, supposed to be grand. It's just chopsticks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so anyway. Uh, we I we have now adopted a new piece of furniture. Um, Sully uh, had to had to pick up his grandmother's organ because uh, they're selling her house, and it's something he wants for his house someday. But he doesn't have a house. Doesn't have one yet. <laughs> yep. So that moved into the basement. So I figured, and it's like a, a electric organ, not like giant pipes. <laughs> not church organ. That would have been way too much. Um, <laughs> but I figured like two pianos was too many pianos for a house that doesn't know how to play piano. So, yeah. Um, I decided we were going to get rid of the other one, but the only way to get it up the stairs was I had to take it apart. So taking apart a piano is not fun because there's this, like, if you've ever looked at an upright piano, they're like five feet tall. There's a solid piece of like one inch, uh, metal that goes throughout the entire piano that is like screwed into the wood. That is what holds tension on all the strings and like, and that thing weighs more than the damn piano itself. So I spent oh, probably three days taking apart a piano just so I could slide that piece out. Did so you get we, it out? We did. We got the. And the, you, did you have your football people help you, or did you have yes. to do it on your own? Okay, oh good. God. I was like, <laughs> you would break your body. Yeah, even without the metal insert, I had to have Amanda help me lift it back up because, like, I had laid it down just to slide it out because I thought that yeah. was the smartest way of doing it. Um, but then I needed her help to lift it back up. So there was no way I was doing it by myself. It took like, no. it took six of us basically at different points, trying to get it up yeah. out of Bulkhead, but well, it is out. Up. The, the metal piece is still in the basement because that is heavier. Um, yeah. so yeah. we'll see. I just might. Do you put know the... what kind of metal it is? I'm asking because I know some things about metal. <laughs> I have no idea. I assume it's like steel or something. It's very heavy. And you said um, it's like one inch thick. That is it's no like, joke. Like half inch to one inch, somewhere in there for sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and it's like it's nice. It's it's nicely decorated. I don't think I took a picture of it. Um, I mean, I can tell you that like half inch material, is, or if it's like steel, not like aluminum or something, it's gonna be like twenty something pounds per square foot. Like it's no joke. Yeah. I like. Uh, I'm guessing it's probably. 20.42 to be exact. Oh, wow. I'm guessing it's probably over 300 pounds, three to 400 pounds to move it. Um, like it took all I could do to to basically uh, like seesaw it or whatever you want to call it to like, you know, lean it up against the wall. So it might it's just crazy. be a, a decoration. How, and it's like a big rectangle or, or there's- It almost looks money. like a harp if you look at it. Yeah, you know, okay. Like it's all on the top and then it like, yeah. you know, there's some design to it for sure. But- that might be a cool piece of art. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's what Jay Plane said. And I was like, that may be enough not to move it for sure. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so that yeah, so like that was our 30 hour detour into piano. Wow. Work. But um, it's it's been really cool because like I've been focusing a lot on, I've been getting back to organizing, um, which I took a lot of time off from. So I've been doing that in the basement. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, so I'm reorganizing my mechanical room. I got new shelves, shelving units for that, mm-hmm. which I just was putting together yesterday and then cleaning out all the old stuff. I'm going to the dump now, which oh, is Oh yeah, crazy. I forgot about that. I, yeah, I've lived in my uh, house for 13 years, but I've always had a dumpster uh, either where I worked or at my brother's. 
So no, I'm like no, learning no. all this stuff about dump. So like today, is it free? We, I know we discussed this before. It, but it, it is free as great. long as you don't like, there's like things you get charged things for. Things like you have to pay for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is recycling free too? Recycling like? is free. Uh, okay. And it's non-sort, which I just Oh, that's the best. Zero sort's the best. Yeah. Do they make you do, in Vermont, we have to compost. We can't throw food waste in the trash anymore. No, no, okay. we're not, we're not that far off the, the grid yet, it's thankfully. kind of annoying. I would, yes, that would annoy the heck out of me. Um, but it does, it like today, before we jumped on this, like I had an old broken wheelbarrow that I took apart. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had some old like shelving and stuff that I took apart and like brought, just brought to the dump. So it, I've, oh, I the think, thing is the trucks. Yes. Well, absolutely. And I think they already <laughs> hate me because like, I don't know. It seems like every town employee of Spofford just doesn't like, Amanda or I it's like always like we're putting them out by having them like asking for help a, or something that could just be a town employee thing I, it could not be, you and Amanda you know but like the lady, like a, the lady at the dump was like glaring at me today and then we've had a very sordid history with the, the woman at the post office so like oh, and I, no. and I've gotten a nasty letter from the guys who managed the road before so like what maybe it's that's us. malarkey maybe it's us I don't know it's like a town of like a thousand people and they're just targeting us. I don't know. They they have it out for you. That's too bad. I remember when we lived in Chittenden County and we would take our dump to the, or trash to the dump and the dump guy was like the sweetest and he always gave us lollipops like we were kids. And it was <laughs> the best. <laughs> oh my God, I love that guy. That's that's awesome. I mean, it's like Charlie with, with Parker, his puppy. Yeah. Like everyone at the dump loves him. They look forward to to Parker when he goes without Parker. Oh my like gosh, Parker's upset. Like, Where and also is the he? dump people are upset. Yeah, the dump people. I mean, if I'm assuming his dump is similar to ours, but like, are, they have lollipops for the kids, and yeah. apparently the adults who look like they need a lollipop <laughs> and um, dog dog biscuits yeah. for the doggos. Yeah, yeah. It's, he said that he said there was one holdout, one of the workers, but in the last you know, six months or something like that. He's also started giving treats to the dog. So, so cute. I will yeah. say too, like when we go to Dunkin' Donuts, like the drive-through window um, and Bryce is with me, like I'll roll down the back window and she knows what's up. So she just like sticks her head out and just starts drooling profusely. And they always have treats and it's really sweet. They're like, oh, what a cute dog. Yeah. And she just like gently takes it oh that is adorable <laughs> it is adorable and then like if we go up there and they don't see her or it's like not somebody that has a treat available she's just drooling everywhere for no reason <laughs> then you have to go to the car wash to get the drool off mm. um so yeah so so we did that and then uh, my last story to to prolong getting to the book of course is um we uh called 911 this week <gasps> yep so had like i was telling you before we had a bunch of guys up here for first week of football and on saturday we were doing uh, outdoor drinking games playing some coop and hey! i had my phone hooked up to the bluetooth thankfully and it was just sitting in one of the you know like uh, lawn chairs that you have in the cup holder so people yeah. were getting in and out of it you know, when it wasn't their turn. You accidentally called 911. And somehow it called 911 on the phone. So. Oh, they do not like when you do that. <laughs> no, they do not. This is probably why the town hates us. So <laughs> thankfully it was hooked up to the Bluetooth. So we heard, heard. the speaker ringing, <gasps> you know. So I picked it up thinking I was getting a call. Looked down, see it's 911. Did the smart thing. And I did not hang up. Because if you do that, yes. they call you back. Yes. And like, again, also thankfully, wasn't too drunk yet. 
So oh. sounded apparently in control as I was telling them like, oh, like I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like it was, it's the phone just went off. We didn't know, so there's weird. no emergency. I, I cannot tell you enough times. And I, I think I said it like three, three or four times. So maybe I was a little drunk, but <laughs> I was like super nervous. Not that like we were drinking outside, you know, nobody was driving or going anywhere. Right. We and weren't like you're lighting all a fire totally of age. Or, yeah, you're yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, not we're not drug addicts or anything. Like, no. But I was still worried for the rest of the night that the cops were just going to show up because sometimes they do that. If you call mm-hmm. 911 accidentally, they're just checking or, on you or hang up, they'll drive by. And like that became the running joke that they probably did. And then they saw the driveway and, and they were like, like forget uh, this. We're not yes. going up there. Yeah. Not worth it. So, no. Yeah. Um, so, I don't understand funny. how it could have accidentally called in. Like you're talking about those like folding cam chair cup holders, right? Yeah. Like the little mesh. That yeah. is so weird. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, if the screen gets hit a couple times, it'll bring up, like, you know. Sure. But, like, how do you even hit the screen when it's in the... Pointy elbows? I have no idea. Uh, I do have those. I understand that flight. Well, I have to watch your elbows around I guess. Jeez. Maybe it's, like... My phone is, like, far enough away from me at all times, so I don't... (laughs) Well, now they're coming out with the iPhone 13, right? So, you know... Oh, dude. I don't know. It's probably like my phone's too old now. So instead of just killing the battery, they're going to make it start randomly calling 911. Until they'll I be like, it. that's, that's going to make him get rid of the phone and get a new one. It absolutely would too. I would pay a thousand dollars not to accidentally call 911 all the time. That seems fair. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Woof. Uh, that was. Uh, that's crazy. Well, I'm glad it wasn't like when you said we called 911, I thought like you called 911 on purpose and like something had happened. No, I'm, so I'm thank- glad to hear that that wasn't the case. I've thankfully never knock on wood called 911 for uh for realsies. For realsies, yes. Yes. Uh, so. I have also accidentally called, but I was stupid and hung up and then they called me back. How old were you? Oh, I think it was like last year. I don't know. It was like not that it was like a exactly like you're saying, where like if you hold the button, maybe it's the side button, there's something that like it's great if it was an actual emergency. I probably would find it very useful, but it was extremely accidental. I don't even remember the circumstances. I honestly think I might have been like sitting at the kitchen table, like trying to do something else. Nice. I don't know. Um, it got us talking about different stories, calling 911. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess Jay did when he was like six years old. On purpose. And- Oh, yeah, because his family was next door. Uh, they had yes. a little pond that his sisters yeah. and his mom were skating on. And his dad was out hunting or working. I don't know. Okay. So Jay, like, went home and, and didn't want to be alone. So he called 911 to talk to somebody. That right? is precious. And also, I don't even know what. <laughs> so they did send a cop over. Uh, and then yeah. the cop- the cop like reprimanded his mother. Uh, you oh know, come about, on! They were just well, next door. You got to take well. Yeah, but you can't go calling nine one one. You know that. I mean, that's true. You got to talk to this whippersnapper about that. So of course it would be Jay that did that. <laughs> you know, good for him though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that right. That's what's going on in our lives. A little bit more exciting tales these days. Um, yeah, on your end anyway. Nine one one, the dump, dog stuff, birthdays. Not a big deal. Uh, if you're not following us, jump on Twitter, follow us at adult book club 21. You can see the videos that we shoot, uh, from the show like that. Going to try to start posting more random things. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. I like giving myself some goals to try to do. Uh, Yeah, probably won't happen, but we'll see. 
Um, okay. You can dream. You can dream. Uh, and then the last thing uh, before we jump into the book, a uh, shout out to my friend, our friend Alden, uh, who is a hey. new listener uh, because of Hi, Alden. Because of where he is in the world, I can see on our little dashboard for our podcast. Oh, yeah, that he is listening. Um, so or at least did once. At least did once, <laughs> and uh, I told him if he missed my voice, he could listen to my. Oh, my that's so voice. sweet. And Probably I'm sure he, also he misses my voice too, right? Absolutely. I'm sure he listened to it for five minutes and was like, well, that was enough. Yeah, uh, that's I done did it. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. If you want to us to shout you out, we will gladly shout you out. Let us know that you're listening to our podcast uh, because, I don't know, we like to know. We'd, it, we'd like to know, yeah. It's one of those cute things that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, for mm-hmm. sure. Definitely so, warm and fuzzies, for sure. Let us know. All right, we're going to move into the book. Uh, so the book, again... Uh, this episode is The Regulators. Uh, it is written by Richard Bachman. There it is. Taj has got it. I have mine earmarked right now because there's way too many characters. Cool artwork on the back, too. This is, it was neat cover art, I gotta say. Um, so this is the fifth novel by Richard Bachman. Uh, it was published over a decade after his death, uh, which was in 1985, when his wife came across some old manuscripts while cleaning up their farmhouse in New Hampshire, and shout out New Hampshire, and Hello. discovered uh, this novel basically to completion. Uh, they, she, along with his old publisher, pushed to get it published. Ju- the only changes they made was they updated some of the references in it to bring it up to speed with 1996. So interesting kind of story there as far as the story within the story uh um, makes me want to bury a manuscript so somebody can oh find my god it yes. um you know it's like picasso and all the other painters you're only famous once you die so might as well have something <laughs> good left with that uh we'll jump into the book and did you want to read the i would love to okay it does continue on to the back of the jacket yes i noticed that okay Okay. It's a summer afternoon in Wentworth, Ohio, and on Poplar Street, everything's normal. The paper boy is making his rounds. The Carver kids are bickering at the corner convenience store. A Frisbee is flying on the Reed's lawn, and Gary Gary Sodderson is firing up the backyard barbecue. The only thing that doesn't quite fit is the red van idling just up the hill. Soon it will begin to roll, and the killing will begin. A quiet slice of American, American suburbia is about to turn to toast. The mayhem rages around a seemingly still point, a darkened house lit fitfully from within by a flickering television screen. Inside, where things haven't been normal for a long time, are Audrey Weiler and the autistic nephew she cares for, eight-year-old Seth Graren. They're fighting their own battle, and its intensity has turned 247 Poplar Street into a prison house. By the time night falls on Poplar Street, the surviving residents will find themselves in another world, one where anything, no matter how terrible, is possible, and where the regulators are on their way. By what power they have come, how far they will go, and how they can be stopped, these are desperate questions. The answers are absolutely terrifying. Uh, Very well done, as always. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I did not write it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, first off, uh, you mentioned in our last episode that you don't read horror. Uh, and this is kind of one of your first forays into it. Um, so I just wanted to know overall as the genre, how how did you like reading it? What were kind of your, you know, maybe even outside, of, what was your feelings getting into this book and, and reading it? 
So I think like classifying it as horror is maybe not quite accurate. I mean, like in and of itself, you know, it had like a, almost like a sci-fi vibe to it. Um, And we'll talk about that more later, but like, so I guess my answer is I'm not quite, I'm still not quite sure how I feel about horror novels because I don't feel like this really was that. I mean, there were some like pretty, I guess you could call them horrifying moments and like stuff where it was, there was definite gore and all that. I don't have a problem with gore. It's like the, I don't know. Same thing with like horror movies, like the shit that jumps out at you or like the, honestly with horror movies, it's more the visual thing for me. Um, So maybe reading horror, I wouldn't necessarily get that same thing. So maybe it would be fine. I don't know. It's just not a genre that I've like done much of, but if this is encompassed within that, I actually liked it more than I thought I would maybe because I didn't feel like it gave out the full on horror vibe. It was like, mitigated some by the the sci-fi aspect or uh, the sci-fi is not even quite the right term either but you get what I'm getting at like a mystical kind of situation that isn't like your traditional horror of like somebody's in the attic or something yeah Yeah. or like a like a I don't know the devil and exorcisms (laughs) and stuff like um so yeah I mean it was definitely like at the very beginning I was like what is this? Like, what is happening? And I was like, I cannot, there were many times where I was like, I cannot believe Russell read this as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was just crazy to me. But I think my overall impression of it was it really like grew on me, like the story did and and the characters too, I suppose. Um, But like it, there were a lot of like, not necessarily left field things, but a lot of things where I was like, I do not understand what's happening. And then later <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I will say as far as the horror aspect of it, I would say there was a lot of like horrifying images. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, definitely to me, this was like Dawn of the Dead horror or like, or like a Tarantino horror where it's more gruesome. Gruesome, uh, yeah. The gore like, aspect was high. Yeah, it, it's definitely where like the the imagery is is quite bloody. Um, some of the you know like the things that uh, that Bachman cocked up here as far as the beast the stuff and going on, that yeah. stuff was uh, was definitely you know if you could it, imagine it you know properly it it definitely was horrifying to think about for sure when the dog died that was the most horrifying (laughs) I was like really I was like anything goes now he's just gonna do whatever he's gonna kill anybody anything like you kill the dog like right out of the gate like that and it's like now I know now I know what you're up with (laughs) well to be fair was uh you know written 25 years ago back when people didn't care about dogs as much obviously so oh is that is that the time decided to start carrying about dogs okay yeah yeah it was uh it was early was, did you say it was initially ran in 1985 it was initially yeah because he died in 85 um, oh he died in 85 and they yeah. published it in 96 yes correct got it so kind of on that level uh it was published 25 years ago how did you think the setting of small town neighborhoods stood up to present day standards um what were some things you noticed that seems from a time long ago um, cause I, I definitely thought there was a few things that 
reminded me of my childhood and growing sure. up. But then I like put that in present day and I was like, well, people don't do that anymore, do they? But, yeah, people don't just like hang out outside anymore. Right. They're like, they're their phones. <laughs> um, yeah, so like the whole, I mean, I obviously did not grow up in middle America, but like that is, I think, a very easy visual to create or like a setting to to put the reader in because I feel like it's very it's very much in our collective consciousness to use that term but like it the neighborhood and stuff reminded me a little bit of that movie um now and then which I don't know if you've seen it it's great I don't think Um, I know that one all these like girls that live in a neighborhood very similar to this and their buddies and then they, they get together like later on in life and they like reminisce about anyway it just like the neighborhood very much reminded me of of that situation because it's just like not necessarily cookie cutter but like you know development style kind of like in any part of America there's just like pop-up of homes that all look really similar and like I did grow up in a neighborhood you know where we had neighbors and I played with neighbors kids and like that aspect totally um rang true but um, and I, I don't know, I thought it was cute, like, the way that he was writing about in the very beginning about summer. It was just like, I don't know, it was very, like, it placed you very succinctly yeah. in that time and space. And I it was really well done. And I was sort of like, especially kind of like ending summer right now when we're reading and I was like, Oh, the, those are all the nice things about summer. Like, <laughs> it was cute. But in terms of like differences or like things that are, I don't know, out of sync with the current time frame, um, I think probably like you said that like it's not, and maybe because I live in a very rural area now, like people don't just like hang out out yeah. down their lawn and they don't like, I don't know. I was also never, though I grew up in a neighborhood, we didn't like get together with neighbors for barbecues and like it wasn't like a community space. Yeah. where it felt very much more like this was um and I think that that is partially to do with the time frame like that was probably more prevalent in developments in that time frame um yeah so, yeah what I was saying like it, it did remind me a little bit how I grew up when I was living in Keene we had that neighborhood like mm. we had you know uh we were the first ones to get a pool Right. Mm. So our house became a place to hang out on hot summer days. And it wasn't just, you know, the kids, but also their parents and stuff like that. It was a very close knit uh, community that like we would Christmas carol at each other's house. Oh, oh, yeah, it was ridiculous. And and so we would would do the barbecues. We would do Fourth of July all together, like the field, the neighborhood field. Um, All the kids played together, all that stuff. Um, But it's funny now talking to my mother about it especially mm-hmm. uh is you hear about all the side stories and all oh, the that drama. you like didn't realize when you yes. were a kid yeah all the shit that was there in between the families that like you had you know I was a nine-year-old kid oh, you're a good time as a kid. no idea about all the yeah. shit that was going on or all the little that is funny stuff. so I appreciated that but it was I mean the whole reason for this question is I just think it's ridiculous nowadays we're so engaged on our phones or our tvs or video games or whatever like the idea of 
you know, this beautiful summer day where the kid that is, people are you know, interacting. Well, and, and the, the kids riding, you know, down the street on his with uh, a wagon, like well, throwing the frisbee. throwing the newspapers. You know, oh, here's uh, here's Brad. You know, watering his flowers and Gary's the guy washing his car. Going. Yeah, it's like, come on, you know, it's just kind of funny to see. That that's and again we both live very rurally and so I'm counting on the people I know who live more in cities and, and towns and that doesn't happen but it doesn't seem like that happens as much so no because people aren't connecting in like real time face to face they're connecting like on Facebook or Insta or like whatever it's not in person I mean the like communications major in me is like this is like. <laughs> a huge detriment to society to society and like i whatever that's a that's a rabbit hole but i did want to mention that the neighborhood that you grew up in and this neighborhood sound very similar to the neighborhood that my friend emily sinbad emily um grew up in and i spent a lot of time as a kid they had like it was a cul-de-sac basically which is like a circle situation um lafave lane which is like spelled ridiculously um and it it had like a center um yard space with like um call it a jungle gym swing set and like whatever and a um tennis court that in the winter time they would like create a skating rink It was like the coolest community. It was one of the, I mean, I spent so much time there when I was a kid, but yeah, actually a little aside that skating rink holds very fond memories because I was really into Xena warrior princess uh, back in the day. And there was like a singing musical episode. And I remember that Emily and our friend Jackie and I like spent probably, I forced them to watch it, but then we spent like a whole day ice skating and singing the songs <laughs> from the musical scene episode. Oh, and, God. And that's what happened anyway, you spend time with your neighbors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I had that growing up, like I had neighborhood kids, but most of them were, I don't want to say most of them were older, but like, I didn't have like a, a tight knit group like she had in her neighborhood. So I definitely yeah. spent a lot more time over there. I do, one of my neighbors who was, I think, a little bit younger than me, we were playing in, like, the cul-de-sac at my neighborhood. He spat in my eye. My dad went to find him and was, like, hollering and, oh, man. I don't miss neighborhoods, I guess, is what I, well, I mean, I miss her neighborhood because that was fun. I don't really miss my neighborhood. (laughs) That's that's, that's great. Um, I will say, and, like, we saw it in this, in the book, too, like, everyone seems to be getting along just fine. And then yeah. you see the cracks start as, as shit gets more and more real. Uh, and you you kind of see people's real personalities come out. So I can only imagine what it'd be like if the neighborhood I grew up in this happened in. I'm sure it wouldn't take long to just people start changing. To turn a flip a switch on people. Yeah. I thought it was neat the way that he um, gave you, not necessarily backstory, but like, like the the... There's so many characters whose names I can't remember. So the wife who was like coming home from work. That was uh, Mary Mary Jackson. Yes. So like the way that he like explained all that was going on with her was really, I thought it was really cool. It was very neatly done. And I think it actually kind of, when you said 
that in your neighborhood, like you didn't realize as a kid, all the like, shit that was going on, but not behind the scenes, but like as a kid, you're just so totally clueless. Yeah. I feel like that is exactly the kind of thing that was probably going on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> just a, just a minor affair, you know, not a big deal. Oh, just uh, casually. Yeah, yeah. Just like coming home, forgot my panties in the hotel room that I didn't, just rented. Like, didn't, didn't forget them. They were ripped off by that one. Well, that's right. Yeah. He did not forget just them. Couldn't, couldn't wear them. Literally couldn't ripped. put them back on. Uh, so. Oh yeah. boy. And, and that was, uh, like you just said, there are so many characters uh, thrown at us at once. That's why, like, I have my book open to the map that, you know, it's like oh, a, yeah. a map your, your kid would draw, you know, compared to the that fantasy was... maps that we may be used to. But it's so useful because it's just the neighborhood with the names of the people that live in the different houses. Uh, so there were, I think, no I think there was 22 people on the, on the block that we got to meet throughout this. Uh, and it was definitely confusing when it started. I kept being like, wait, who was, which one was that? Who was the teacher? Who was this guy? Who yes. Was guy? Um, yes. Well, especially because like you didn't really have like a person, there was no like first person perspective from anybody really. Yeah. Yeah. He did yeah. jump around. Uh, that was an interesting part of this where like, we've talked about it before where you either have one perspective or you have two. And in here, mm. You know, it'd be like, here's a chapter. It was like a bird's from... eye view. <laughs> well, yeah, but then it'd also be like, Audrey was, kind of, you were like hearing Audrey's thoughts and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you'd hear, you know, John Maryville's thoughts and yes. stuff. And like, it was definitely interesting. And I thought he did it well where it wasn't confusing. You knew who was talking. Yes. Um, And it gave you more insight in, into them. As, also, as sorry to interrupt. I also just wanted to say that like, this was something I was talking to Barry about, like as I was reading it, but I really like the way that he does. So sometimes when you read a book, and there's like a lot of dialogue, it's like a very like, quote, they said this, they said this, they yes. said this, they said this, like throughout the whole page, but he did like a really cool job of having some of it be like, not necessarily anecdotal, because you're hearing what they're saying, but like, it wasn't just strictly dialogue. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm really like explaining it well enough. I'm going to try to find a spot, but okay. I just really liked how he, the interactions between the characters felt, it felt like I was watching a movie, not I like I was, does that make sense? Like, so I did I'm notice, not... and I'm, I'm, I don't remember if it was this book or if it's just been this way in general is like, it seems there was parts where like, it wouldn't say like, you know, John came in and was like, why would you do that? And Mary said, I don't know you. And instead of being like John said, he would be like, I can't understand what's happening. Yes. And then she would say something. But without that blocking of like said John said Mary or he replied, whatever. It yes. made it flow so much more because you're like, you understand who's talking. It's clear enough to you. Yeah. And I think, th I think that that's kind of what I'm getting at. That like, it didn't feel like, because some, sometimes dialogue between characters in a book can feel like you're reading a screenplay or something. Kind, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. something where it's like, they're not giving you, because like the way that he does it, he gives enough, he intersperses enough information about how it's said or, you know, wisp, I don't know. It just was like, and I don't know why it stuck out to me more than other books, because it's not like he's the only person that does that. But like, right. I just felt like for this situation, and maybe because there's no one narrator that it's yeah. sort of like the the bird's eye view slash internal monologue um but it just made it easy to feel like I was there yeah if that makes sense 
Yeah, no, it, it, I, I get that. It, it made you feel like one of the, uh, like you were observing the whole thing. You were actually yes. involved rather than, yes. rather than being somebody at bird's eye. Like, even though you right. are taking that bird's eye view, you're not like suspended above it. Removed like, from in it. it. Yes, right. good point. So kind of on that, as we were talking about, like there's so many characters, like I said, I, I believe there's 22 that I counted that lived on this block. As as we're learning about them, and, and this could have changed because my, I'll, I'll do my answer first for a change. So- um, the question I had for this was, did you identify any more with one than the others? And then did you have any favorite or favorites that you hope to survive this ordeal? Spoiler alert, people die in this book. Um, so for people we identified with, I was all about Gary Soderson to start. Gary is a really like, drunk guy. It's like three in the afternoon, maybe. Oh, Gary's he, on he's like, like making gin and tonics. I'm sorry. He was making gins. He was making gin martinis where he would just oh, pour, he would pour gin in the glass, a couple olives, and then he would cheers the unopened bottle of vermouth and then drink it. That was pretty funny, but I did not like him. Well, and I was like, I could get down with Gary. And then as <laughs> soon as like shit went sideways, I was like, Gary's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, regardless of how drunk he was, Gary. I mean, that part was fun. I feel like if people weren't being slaughtered, he'd probably be a fun time. Right? Yeah. Maybe. Just- I don't know. He was drinking. He was drinking kitchen sherry at the end because he couldn't find anything. So that's right. No, he had a problem. I mean, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a warning sign for sure. Oh yeah. uh, To start off, I was like, "Yeah, Gary," and then that's great. Oh, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, Did Did you have any of those feelings towards anybody? So the three, I had three. Well. I guess I should say four people that really like stood out to me um, at different points. So Cynthia, the one, the clerk from the corner store. Yeah. Really liked her. Like actually, um, and I forgot, Steve. Yep. The truck driver. Like truck driver. Yeah. Those two and like their chemistry for lack of a better term. I really liked that. Um, And like, I loved how he did the little like backstory of him. Like, it was, like, a little snippet that just kind of helped you understand, like, A, why he was there. And, like, who he was as a person. Yeah. And I, I really liked them. Um, I really liked Kali and yeah. Entrigen. Entrigen? How do you Entrigen? say that? That's what okay. I was saying, yeah. Okay. Um, who was, like, the ex-cop guy. I liked him a lot. Um, and so, then um, Audrey. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, um, with Oh, Kali, and Seth, obviously. I yeah. mean... Obviously. Um, Obviously. But with Kali, I was really interested because it seemed like that. It definitely could have went the Redeemer story, right? Oh my God. That's what I thought was going to happen. Who was wrongly pushed off the force, you know, trumped up charges against them dishonorably or however you want to put it, kind of discharged the policeman. All these rumors out about him, all this shit. And then this happens on his block. And it's like, it's like you pictured John Rambo coming out, this right? Is you your didn't time even have a shirt for most time. of it. Yes. <laughs> so I definitely like Kali. I definitely thought it was going to be a redemption story for him. Audrey, we'll get into later with spoilers. We're going to talk about her kind of whole story, but I did mm-hmm. really appreciate her. I she thought... was strange at the beginning. Like she totally weirded me out, but she like super duper grew on me. And you kind of, as you learn more, you realize why she's weirding you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I really liked Belinda uh, Josephson. 
Oh my gosh, was, the both of them. Yes. Both of the Josephsons. They were they were great back and forth, but like her just, you know, she she reminded me of uh she was just so like sassy and like mm-hmm. right and she was she did not give well, and she like shit was one of the ones that really like everything was going to shit and she was like chill yeah. AF. Yeah. And like props props yeah. to that that's like a pretty impressive feat i also really like the vet yeah doc, john. doc. no doc. the doc yeah. oh and the god there were a lot of people i liked and john the the old ex-author yeah is that right yeah okay there actually were a lot more characters like oh i liked everybody yeah i thought it was yeah again it was interesting i, I thought he did really well um just talking about characters like he had almost every you know scope of life at that point right like you had the yeah. little kids the carver kids mm-hmm. what they were dealing with like uh cynthia and uh steve were kind of like the younger like you know teenage generation yeah, like, kid. yeah then you had the reed boys and then the, the girls that were kind of that age and then you had all different types of people in different walks of life and work all the way up to old retired vet doc with all the pictures of animals that, that was so funny like that must have been a crazy thing to think of oh this this dog this collie could you know put things in alphabetical order and open a jar like so ridiculous that and was that really could- funny i thought that was a really neat i liked when like we got into certain people's homes because yes. i think that was really like because that is so accurate like you might know a person on the outset you know like face value and then get into their home they've got all these creepy figurines like you don't know (laughs) absolutely and it's definitely peels back the curtain where it's like oh "Oh, yeah yeah, this is me (laughs) yeah and like did the vet like teach all those animals to do those things was that like were they all his animals were they all animals he worked on i had a lot of questions about I was that. it was like animals he worked on but then like what did he was it like one of those like uh high you know like like i don't know dr so- pole where he like <laughs> works on like farm animals well, I was just thinking, like, how does he know that, right? Just like, the, oh, the yeah. dog, does the collie just come in and start, like, rearranging the magazines? Like, what are we talking about here? And, like, is he, a, is he like, a regular vet or is he, like, a doctor, like, a, like, a behavioral, animal behavioral sciences? Like, I have a lot of, a lot of questions. He was the original Caesar Milan, right? The dog. Yeah. Was but yeah. for, like, it was a chicken, too, right? Or, a uh, or definitely birds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, Whew, yeah, it was a lot. But I, I did really appreciate that kind of characters. And there were some yeah. that you liked and some that seemed normal and then some that seemed absolutely crazy. And then your perspective on them changed as the story went on. Some of the crazy ones Definitely. didn't seem so crazy and some of the normal ones seemed oh, that pretty, is accurate. crazy. <laughs> so. Yeah, like um, the Geller mom. Oh, yes. No, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, well, and also the Reed mom, both yes. of those moms. Yes, basically, most, moms, moms went crazy. Moms went nuts. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I guess Belinda and Brad didn't have kids, right? Right. So, yeah. so basically, the the moral of this story is: don't have kids. It makes you crazy. All yes. of the people. That's not true. It's like, oh, people that didn't have kids survived. That's a lie. Well, yes, that's a lie. But they did have a better chance. They did. Statistically Um, speaking, they did better. (laughs) So talking about kind of the 
the different things we liked uh, about this book, one thing that was interesting was, and you see it right off the first, right off the bat, this book starts with a postcard, um, just a, a picture of a postcard, oh, yeah. uh, which is, you're like, okay, whatever, that's weird. But then in between chapters, Spockman used different types of medium, mediums to fill in the backstory of what was happening. So it was, you know, the postcard, they had journal entries from Audrey, um, they had television strips. Yeah. They had notes from, you know, secondary tertiary characters and all this stuff that kind of filled in what was happening. Like a news article even. Yep. With stories from the past. So what did you think about that kind of way of giving us that information? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Because this is obviously not something we see often. Yeah. Right. So I liked overall, I liked it. For sure. It felt a little bit like giving the reader the ability, not necessarily the ability, but like a different way of piecing the story together. You know, yeah. it's still the story, but it's not, <laughs> but it's not a story in the traditional writing of fiction. Does that make sense? Like, it, it's like, it reminds me a little bit, not necessarily of like choose your own adventure, but something where it's like more it it's still a book I was still holding it but it felt more tactile like it felt like I had discovered something on my own that tied back to this I mean of course he's giving it to me in the pages where it suits but it was I thought it was really neat the a neat way to give the backstory without being like this is backstory Right. You know, and like having and and telling you like you still are able as the reader to take from it what you will, (laughs) which I feel like if it was just backstory, he would be laying it out for you. Yeah, I thought it let you play more like put a detective hat on. Right. Yeah. Like where it was like, oh, that's why. Like, because obviously the postcard, you could just breeze right by that and not even read it. Right. And, like you did as a kid. <laughs> yeah. So I was telling Tasha. So I, I read this book when I was in middle school. I'm pretty sure I picked it because the cover art I thought was cool. And I thought it was going to be cool. about like action figures or something. I have no idea. So I don't remember finishing the book. I definitely remember that I skipped these things we're talking about now. The notes and, and letters. So and critical. Like, like if you finish, I got can't. Yeah. I, I'd be I, surprised I, if you. There was a lot of this book that I didn't remember, which makes me fully believe I didn't. um but it was it was a real neat way where like you're you're kind of putting that together like okay you're learning about audrey's husband and what happened to him through her journal entries you're learning about seth's origin story from the postcard from the newspaper clipping from from audrey's journals you're learning about the characters that we're seeing through Mm -hmm. the the tv scripts or the movies whatever so I, I did feel like it put more on the reader to make those connections rather than being like, this is what definitely. happened. Here um, it is right in front of your face. It definitely like makes you work harder for it. And I liked that. And I, I enjoyed it. Um, there are definitely times like we talked about before where I'd be like, holy shit, the next 16 pages are journal entry. So, like, and I know we talked about this before too. I completely agree with you where I, I would like, I would skip ahead in the book to be like okay how many pages of this journal are there I'd be like oh my god that's so many but then while I'm reading it I'm like getting so into it that I like flew through it yeah absolutely 
it definitely was daunting but then I was like oh all right (laughs) I kind of felt the same way about the scripts where I was like yeah I don't know if I'm gonna read this and then I'd like just start reading it so easy to read too exactly it's easy to read and then you're like well that was like 20 pages it's not even reading like (laughs) yeah it's a gorgeous quack 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 page yeah it makes you feel good about you know shut up Rudy uh it made you feel good about that flipping through (laughs) stuff so um (laughs) Or, or sorry, getting through that. I always feel better when I'm like, I always judge where I'm at based on where I'm, where I'm, my bookmarker is in the book, right? Yes. So like it gave you that better sense of accomplishment from where you picked up to where you put down. So, well, um, and one thing to that point, because I would like, if, when I finished reading, I would like update my progress in Goodreads, but then like, I'd have to guesstimate because the pages that had those little extra tidbits didn't have page numbers. And yeah. I'd be like, I can't stop here. I have to finish it. <laughs> You're like I'm at I'm somewhere between page 280 and 305. I don't know. I don't exactly. That's what <laughs> I'm just gonna guess. Uh, this is like a pretty interesting book. A lot different than what we've normally done for sure. Um, it is an older book. It's harder to come by, but if you can find it, you should pick it up. And that's where we're getting it into a pre-spoiler spoiler alert. And here's the sorry, folks. Here's the news that you should know. But if you don't, here it is. Richard Bachman is a lie. What? Boo, boo, boo. Richard Bachman does not exist. Uh, Bachman was a pseudonym used by Stephen King for two reasons. One, uh, he wanted to publish more than one book in a year, which in the late 70s, early 80s was frowned upon, which is just weird. Like, why wouldn't you I just- agree. Like, what like, the hell does it matter? I didn't understand that. Uh, but two, and more importantly, King wanted to see if his success was based solely on luck or actual skill. So basically he had realized that he had hit a, hit a couple big hits. And so his books were selling uh, and he wanted to know if it was because he was actually doing good as an author or if people were just buying books because of his name. So to do this, uh, he started publishing uh, Bachman's books, obviously under Richmond Bachman's name, but he did it with little to no publicity. So he just put the books out there and didn't do any marketing for them, wanted to see how they would do. His plan was going pretty well until after three books uh, that were published, a bookstore clerk in Washington, D.C. puzzled together that King was Bachman on two, two ways. One, he realized that the writing styles of King and Bachman were incredibly similar. Uh, mm-hmm. And two, He went to the Library of Congress and found a document naming Stephen King the author of one of the early Bachman novels. Yeah, it's like so fucking clever. Like, way to. Well, you know, if it happened, it happened. If it happened anywhere else in the world, right? Like, but he's got the Library of Congress. I mean, like, yes, he had all the tools. (laughs) I can handle this. Um, So what he did was he wrote King's publisher and was like, "Hey." I'm, I'm pretty sure I know. Like, what do you want me to do with this information? <laughs> um, so two weeks later, Stephen King calls him and tells him to basically uh, go to the public with it, oh, with okay. the discovery. So he does. Uh, and this was like leading up to King's next novel, which I believe was Misery. So he used this, like him being Bachman as a part of a publicity stunt for his next book that was coming out as well. So he doesn't deny it when the guy comes out and, and, and confronts him. So this happens in 1985, which then King uses as the year Bachman dies. Um, if you look That's at the, the year book, I was born, everybody. Maybe you have the soul of Richard Bachman in you. Oh my him. God. I mean, he's you not know? a real person. I mean, there's probably an actual Richard Bachman somewhere in the world. But, <laughs> but we're not talking about you. No. Um, 
So, and you probably aren't listening to this podcast. <laughs> if you look in the books, there is a picture of Richard Bachman in the books. The picture that King used was the insurance agent of King's literary agent named Richard Manuel. Who so, looks a lot to me like Elvis Costello. Just okay, like, I'd give you that. Um, glasses, I So this whole thing comes about because King wants to... I don't know. He, he wants to see if he really has talent, which is just like a creative genius of insanity at the same time. Like you're going above and beyond, which is awesome. And I can totally appreciate that. But my God, the amount of work that went into this. Oh, uh, totally. It feels also like a lot of work for just like a pat on the back. Like what was he? I think he wanted to, he wanted it's just to. An, the ego in the room right now is so there was some one of the books Bachman wrote uh I forget which one it was sold 20 like 5,000 copies worldwide and then when it was re-released under King's name it sold like 10 to 50 times more wow so there is something to be said about what he was trying to do but but you said that he released his Bachman books with no publicity correct like I get it King is like a name yeah onto himself for sure and like I think I like the guy I mean I don't know him but like he (laughs) seems like a totally decent not douchey person great but like to release a book with absolutely no publicity like of course it's not going to do as well as King like that seems like an unfair like you know comparison I I agree. And like, it was interesting because this was my first Bachman book, obviously. And I looked for more after this and I had no idea about this backstory until like probably 10 or 15 years later. Like remember (laughs) in the late nineties, early two thousands, like the internet wasn't what it is now. Like I was just going to bookstores and asking Bachman, I, you know, the AOL tone insert here. Uh, Yes. Modems. um, So I just think it's super, super neat. And then the reason the regulators was published 11 years later after Bachman quote unquote died under the Richard Bachman name was King put out a book the same year titled Desperation, where he took the same character names and basically put them into an alternate reality where those characters had different personalities and different roles. Like the Carver family was swapped. So the kids were then the parents and the parents were the kids as far as like their names were concerned and all that stuff. And so crazy. And Kali, who was a, you know, ex-cop in this book was the, a kidnapper in the other book. So uh, it definitely made me want to pick that up. It is a Stephen King novel. So it's like 700, 800 pages. So I don't know when I would get to that, but I'm going to keep my eye out for desperation. Um, and, and if you put the covers back to back, I guess it makes a piece of art, which is super cool as well. It is really uh, cool. So there's a lot, a lot of neat things with that. Um, did, was there anything else you wanted to add, add about your feelings on King's deception of the world and, and or anything else with, with Richard Bachman? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I would, I mean, it's a deception, yes, but it doesn't feel like some grand conspiracy theory. It just like, I can understand why he would do it, especially if you say that like his books were selling 10 to 50 times. That's a huge difference. But at the same time, like the ego, the be like, I I don't know. That said, if I was in his shoes, I would probably be curious too. If like it it was like, am I good enough? And I can get down on that whole, not self-deprecating, but like 
still, you'd want some validation. And how else are you going to get it besides pretending to be somebody else? <laughs> so I will say, um, I, I like it because it didn't affect anybody else, right? Yeah. He just, he just did it. And he, he wasn't trying to like hurt anybody or do hmm. anything like that. Like he just totally. put that out there. So I appreciate Well, And he didn't that. like try to keep that guy from saying, you know what I mean? Like once the jig was up, the jig was up. It wasn't like he was in, you know what I mean? He wasn't like, well, F you guy for outing me. Like, right. again, that's why Stephen King doesn't seem like a douche to me. He seems like a cool dude. So, and then on that same kind of same idea, you want to talk about trying to make it on his own. His son is Joe Hill. Um, so that's another author in, in this horror fiction thing. And he goes by Joe Hill because his name is Joseph Hillstrom's King. And he didn't want to be known as Stephen King's kid. Obviously, again, with the internet, I mean, nowadays, that's fair. people know, but you know, just I didn't another know kind of, because I've never read that guy. Yeah. But just have another, you read the, I have stuff? not, uh, Eric, our friend from previous work really likes the work of Joe. Oh, Hill. Yeah. That so, was like a nice little subtle shout out. Um, might be something we look into at some point. Yeah, sure. yeah. I'm, I'd be curious to see if their styles are at all similar. I find that interesting. And we discussed this before, uh, how the guy said that he could tell the writing because the writing was so similar, right? Yeah. Um, and I actually appreciated Bachman because I I haven't read much King, but the stuff I have read, it always feels like it's 100 pages too long, at least. And it's not that he's just going into gruesome detail. He's just adding backstory and backstory and side stories and all this stuff that you're like, dude, this I just want to like know how this enough. ends. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't well, this, feel that way. This one, yeah, this one to me felt like just the right amount of backstory. I mean, I also have not read very many King because as we established on the outset that I don't like horror stuff, but I have read some of his Dark Tower series. And I guess the like, fucked upness like what the hell is going on yeah is similar like that's a relatable aspect and i think maybe i would have put two into like if i had read bachman didn't know it was stephen king and had read the dark tower series i might have been like hmm that seems like eerily familiar but i don't know probably i wouldn't i would have just been like these two people are like bonkers for coming up with these ideas so yeah it's just interesting to me because again they they put these books out at the same time bachman's book is like 400 pages long king's book is 750 and i think that would be enough for me to be like they can't be the same author <laughs> you know <laughs> so well, i think too like if you saw those two books on the shelf next to each other which you wouldn't because alphabetically they wouldn't you know what i mean there's no reason yeah. for them to be next to each other especially yeah. with the cover art. though i will say my goodreads had a different cover art than this one okay um so i wonder if i mean the fact that the cover art for this one that we have and the was it desperation desperation yeah desperation has a mirroring cover art if you saw them next to each other there would be no doubt in your mind but yeah, like definitely well and but then, it also, maybe that was a clue maybe that's like a way to well this was also 11 years after bachman was uncovered so right. look at that too. I think it was. I think that was another little nod to his fans too, as well. Uh, to, to, Which I'm there sure are many. I mean, that's seat, like but... a cult in and of itself, right? King, yeah. Oh, absolutely. King fans. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so just one last thing about Richard Bachman, in case you were wondering, uh, the name came as a nod to uh, crime author Donald E. Westlake, whose long-running pseudonym was Richard Stark. That's where Richard came. 
from, and then Bachman was inspired by Bachman Turner Overdrive, which is a rock and roll band that King was listening to at the time. Uh, he had come up with a and different- And who isn't around now because what? <laughs> he had come up with a different name and then I, I think they didn't like it. So he like on the fly thought of Richard Bachman based on- It's very things. good. Very so, good on the fly name. I definitely hope works. that there are Richard Bachmans in the world. I'm like sure actual, there's, actually, there's another author named Richard Bach, uh, B-A-C-H. Yeah, I would always see his work and get excited, and then it wouldn't be Richard Be like, Bach oh, there's no man. Like, this isn't the same guy. No. Why do I always see this guy's work, but not Richard Bachman's? Well, because one of them was actually alive. And the <laughs> one other of was them was a real human. So uh, with that, that's our pre-spoiler spoiler. It's a spoiler from 30-something years ago, and this is one of my I favorite. don't classify that as a spoiler because I don't know if you noticed, and I was very proud of myself, but in the, in the jacket here. I did notice. I, there was an entire paragraph that I skipped because it said that it was Stephen King. Yep. <laughs> and I didn't uh, want to give up the game. Keeping our listeners in suspense. Uh, but my favorite spoiler, favorite spoiler thing ever that happened with um, Stephen King he tweeted it out. He tweeted out something about Ned Stark dying in Game of Thrones season one. And uh, this kid, this whatever person was like, hey, man, spoilers. What the fuck? And King, King goes, it's a spoiler. Read the book. It came out 20 years ago. Uh, again, King is like cool in my yeah. book. Like, so, love yeah. It. So That's with that, with that. Also, we- he like totally like shat all over the lady who wrote the twilight books which is like he also gets really upset because there is a representative from iowa i think that is also named stephen king oh really and he's an asshole i assume oh, republican, he, he's a very very republican republican he is a oh no the real the author stephen king is a good dude <laughs> so he rips him apart because everyone's good alive, and it's great so who knows Kudos, uh, Author King. So with that, we are finally moving into spoilers. Cue the song. Oh, boy. Spoilers. Spoilers. I think you need to take the guitar off the wall and start Spoilers. Playing. We're moving into spoilers. Oh, boy. Spoilers. That guitar is very out of tune. I would, I would not take that down. I thought about accompanying it with music, but I'd rather just yell at you. Maybe uh, next time I'll break up my ukulele. I don't know how to play it, but perfect. I have one. I mean, you, you're feel free to write the spoiler songs. I'm not doing them any justice for sure. I don't know music. <laughs> I don't know how to write music. I don't sing. You don't want me to sing. I. You sing very I, well. Um, think that I'm not musically inclined. I certainly I tried to teach myself ukulele and did like a few youtube videos and stopped because i'm um, terrible um sully pointed out that he could write us a song for spoilers but he enjoys making me sound terrible every week so i mean i think it's more fun to have a, a surprise <laughs> what's gonna happen next Dude, this is the first one i practiced i, I was working on that like five. Oh my god you practiced that I'm... yes russell thanks so like, i can take that two ways um <laughs> so getting into a good sp- way getting into spoilers uh, as the book unfolds, we learn that eight-year-old Seth Garen, an autistic boy, has been inhabited by an ancient evil force known as Tack, which was uncovered in Nevada and called to him when his family drove by the mine two years before the events of the book. Tack was able to stay in Seth and slowly gain power over him and the outside world as people felt pain, 
loss, or fear around him. He absorbs that as energy. Early on, he's able to use that power to have Seth's family killed in a drive-by at the end of their trip, after which Seth moves to Poplar Street in Ohio to live with his aunt and uncle. That's Audrey Weiler. Triggered by the absorbing of the life force of a homeless person who happens to wander near the street one day, Tack sets out to kill everyone on the block in order to gain enough power to create his own world. He uses characters from TV shows and movies that he and Seth both enjoy, which were the Motocops 2200, uh, the Regulators, and Bonanza. He uses these characters to wreak havoc, havoc on the inhabitants of Poplar Street. Many are killed, and Tack's power grows, transporting them to his own dimension, where he plans to finish them off. However, Seth's power has also grown, and he is able to communicate with his aunt to get her enough time to escape and get help to destroy Tack once and for all. During the final battle of the Regulators against the neighborhood, Seth is able to distract Tack long enough to fulfill his plan to allow one of the residents, Cammy Reed, to kill Seth's body, which was the only one strong enough to hold Tack. Tack's essence is scattered without a body to maintain it, but does claim it will have its revenge on the remaining members of popular, popular Street someday. In the end, 13 out of 21 people are killed. Eesh. I will also say I don't appreciate him calling it Poplar Street because I always want to say popular. I just popular. look at that popular word street. and I'm always popular, like, popular, popular, popular. Um, anyway. Pop Street. You just call it Pop. Pop, Pop Street, Street. Dirty Pop. Pop Street. Um, so there's a lot of weird, gross, and violent imagery in this book. Mm-hmm. What were some things that stuck out to you? Getting into spoilers. <laughs> okay. So there was definitely, like, he did a really good job. I mean, his he's just, like, good at imagery. Like, put that right out there. Like, one thing that had sort of, like, a horror-ish feel to me was at the beginning when the kid was uh the paper boy was driving by audrey's house and she was just standing there like topless and like later you i mean we're in spoilers so i can say that like she's basically like in she's not really like there yeah she's whenever whenever tack is in control she basically leaves her mind to go to another world she goes to like a a yeah like a safe space a mental a mental haven yeah um which is like a a moment in time from her past which i think was really cute yeah um, God, then. um <laughs> and uh that like imagery of all that was like really kind of i was like oh god where are we going with this <laughs> um so that was like just really cool in terms of like a horror standpoint without being like gruesome and gory and whatever it just kind of like piqued my interest One thing that, and I wouldn't necessarily call it like gruesome or gory, but one thing that I really loved about the imagery that he created was how often you saw things that were like quite clearly created by a kid. I was going to point that out. Yeah, That is like, and I just, that, there were so many, so many points where that happened um like with the the buzzard thing that was like eating one of the dead bodies and it's like oh and they were the characters remarked a few times like well it looks like something that like a kid would draw yeah which like it is exactly that yeah and the proportions aren't right and it's like there's no way that they fly but somehow it does right and Um, like when they're in the green belt um trying to like go for help (laughs) um 
And there's like those coyote things or like the whatever that have, again, just like the descriptor and the the visual of it being so very much what a kid would literally draw. So like something that ends in like hands instead of like paws or it it just, I thought that was really cool. I mean, it's creepy AF because like, I don't want to be attacked by a kid's drawing, especially if it can actually kill me. Um, but then also when they were in the green belt, that whole portion was like pretty high intensity. But like when they're at the end and that bum is all like dead there and they're seeing the shit change like right in front of them and it just changes to like literally a child's drawing. <laughs> like yeah. I just, I thought that was super cool and like terrifying in like a weird way, <laughs> if that makes sense. Cause you're like, what the actual fuck is happening but it's so obvious what it is it's still just like what and they were talking about how like the stars didn't look like stars they look like a kid drew stars and that's terrifying well Um, and like the mountains are like they're literally just like black crayon like it's not even it, it just that I think was like from a from an imagery standpoint one of the freakiest moments like the you know people getting shot up and like that seemed normal to me because we watch you know tv and movies have a lot of violence in them and I'm like typically as you should be typically fine with watching people die but like if animals die I'm like don't kill that horse like that's that's the level I'm at so like I think my disassociation with that means that the kids' drawings and the kid that like the the environment changing to be a kid drawing was more freaky to me than the people getting like drive-by shooting shot. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. The they were talking about uh, I think it was uh, John Marinville found the bullet right that like landed in the living room yes. or whatever where they were, and it was like it's like this is. It's like, it's an like how a kid challenge. would think it was right. getting shot out of a shotgun. Like none of this yes. makes sense. Like, why is this happening? So I really appreciated that because it let, like you were saying earlier, like it's kind of like horror, but it's like sci-fi and it's kind of just like mystical. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, was, it was really cool that like that kind of embracing of that stuff made it. So again, the imagery was clear, but the imagery was wacky, um, which was, which was fun for me uh and I also feel like the care like us as readers kind of like figuring all of that out and the the characters like all remarking on how it looks like a kid drawing or being like this can't this cannot be yeah (laughs) because like that guy is familiar with what artillery you know what I mean like the everybody kind of like sussing it out together us and the characters I thought was really cool especially because it just like gives it more of a I think you said it before like the detective quality like and the fact that they when they finally like hear from Andre like what's going on it kind of gives them the opportunity to not be as weirded out as they could have been like it all kind of fits the puzzle pieces fit Yeah, yeah exactly kind of one of the grosser ones I thought was when they were talking about how so after Mary Jackson is murdered Peter her husband becomes shell of himself without even learning of the affair uh lucky Mary um right. but like he like loses his mind and then eventually gets 
they talk about how Tack can take control of people when he's within like 20, 30 feet of them, but like he can affect their thinking at a further distance. Yeah. So basically he brings, and especially when they're in a state of, you know, in certain states when they're already afraid or if they're like kind of checked out or or whatever. And and Peter basically didn't recover after seeing his wife murdered. So he's in this weird, like catatonic state basically. And and Tack brings them to him to absorb his life force, right? Like he says, he basically enters their brain, takes all the energy he wants. And like the imagery of Peter with like one eye, basically half there, the other one has like popped not only out of the socket, but like has exploded down his like face. Like he looks like a zombie. Yeah, but it's still there. And he's just yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's still himself. Yeah, me- meandering into the green belt to, to find the bum who also looks the same way. Like just how he kept describing, you know, and this is how Peter saw it through his half eye. And the other one was still squished and gross. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so nasty. Another thing that I couldn't get over. And like, we we are not necessarily like, clean freaks here but every time they described audrey's house right oh my like, god just like a layer of dust on everything the smell not like, even the, the layer Boyer D sauce stains on everything and like hamburgers. the ants in the trash Ugh. yeah it was that, that was horrifying in itself i totally agree especially when they were like describing seth like um i i mean like kids are sticky like that's just like a thing that they are but this kid would have been like super glue sticky like gross and just the grime around his wrist and ankles he only wants to wear his underwear now and yes oh like imagery wise like i know we've talked about this before in other podcasts especially with the book that shall not be named which i named earlier um (laughs) i feel like night and day like I could I could walk into those spaces in the regulators like yeah. and I it was very much a real thing I mean that's a silly thing to say but like I had no problem visualizing any of the thing I mean the vans were a little weird <laughs> I I picture I, I just pictured them as like banning vans like basically like the big you know the big like painters vans or whatever like totally. the like windows and all that stuff totally bigger. But then they, but then he would do things like, and then the windshield rolled down. And I was like, what? Like, or there was like this big hump. Like, it just like, when he, so knowing that it was like, for lack of a better term, like Hot Wheels kind of thing, where it's like uh, toys that are modeled after this show that's fucking crazy, (laughs) um, made it easier to like, maybe not visualize but kind of like gloss over that and be like okay so I'm generalizing you know like it's it's this amorphous thing (laughs) so like I looked at it like it was it was tough to visualize the characters from a fantasy show that you've never seen right oh yeah but there's like eight of them as well um but I just thought it was interesting it'd be like these space-faring vans right that are piloted by these space warriors but also have soldiers in old confederate uniforms from the regulators in it and then also have like you know bonanza western character cowboys in it as well and like the the how they all mingled together it was kind of like how tack would uh use their voices to communicate and like yes. and stuff like that like it was just interesting but when 
interesting and a little weird, but as you get into the story, you just realize that's how he thinks, right? So it's you learning that character more where it's like, these are all, these are three different things, but to him, they're all one. It's all how he can like- uh, Meld them all together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they talked about that with like Seth's autism because of his, he had such a higher thinking brain was because he, how he could contain tack. Like we saw with Cammy Reed, uh, when she, contain him. she gets tacked for like five seconds, 10 seconds, enough Not to be even, like, yeah, kill you all. And then her head mm-hmm. explodes. So, uh, that just tells you the, the raw power that Seth had as well. So I found that interesting. Can I ask you a question about Seth? You can ask anything you want. Cool. So I get the, imp- I mean, obviously, like you just said, Seth is like a very special brain. <laughs> um, but I get the impression that like Seth on his own probably even had some like telekinetic, like that kind of tele. I feel like he, I mean, I'm not saying that that's like a legit thing that you can have if you have autism, but like it, I got the impression that Seth in this book was like very on his own way to becoming something almost mystical without tack does that make sense or do you think it was just because of tack because I feel like there were a few times when he when tack was explaining stuff that he like referenced things that Seth could do so regardless of him I think uh, the way I picked up on it was kind of how like tack had gained some things because of Seth Seth sure. had gained some things because of Tack. Okay. I saw okay. it. Like, cause some bleed over. Yeah, because Tack is like this weird, all-powerful being that like is really just particles in the sky, but obviously is like kind of a virusy type. I don't know. Obviously, he's got a lot of power. So I yeah. viewed that kind of as like Seth was learning how to use some of that power for himself. Okay. Or Okay, so you don't think he had anything inherently... Well, or it's like, you know, they say, what, we use 10% of our brains. So maybe because Seth talked about how he had to create these tunnels to basically hide from tack, maybe while doing that, he discovered the 90%, like, maybe we can all do telekinesis and we're just too looking for it. I feel like I, I'm going to believe that that's the case, that Seth had these innate abilities and that they were just like, not necessarily dormant, but he wasn't able to express them because of his autism, if that makes sense. And so like tack being with him was like a way that he could access those things. But then also I agree with what you're saying that like they kind of stole some pieces of each other. Yeah. Um, or, or gain some power from each other. But I feel like I want, I would like to believe that Seth is epic on his own. <laughs> nice. I, I understand why. And I think kind of too, with the ending, we see that there was, you know, there's definitely some powers that he unlocked there for sure. Um, which we'll get into. Uh, before we jump into that though, I, I related this, you know, we have a couple of times to a horror movie. Were there any times you're yelling at this, like, you know, what are you doing? Look behind you or like, you know, something happens to your character. You're like, like some death. You're like, yes. Like I, I have done that before in horror movies. (laughs) Okay. So I was like super bummed about Kali. Yeah. Dying. Like that was a little bit of a surprise to me too. I mean, I guess I shouldn't call it a surprise because when he killed the dog, it was like anybody's for me. Well, and as um, we talked about before, it was like, this could be a redemption, redemption. story for Kali. And then it was like, nope, he dies because one of the other kids shoot him. 
that that whole green belt thing was really stressful for me like i I understand going for help but why wouldn't you try to get together first you were in two houses next to each other communicate exactly i just like and all this i don't know that the whole again the whole green belt thing was like really really stressful yeah holly dying really bummed me out I appreciated that he was able to get off his chest the whole, like, I was framed, blah, blah, blah. Like, good for you. That information's not going anywhere, but it's coming for you. But also, like, what the fuck happens to these people afterwards? Like, nothing? Everything? I don't know. It's weird. Um, the twins... Uh, D- Jim and Dave Reed? Death was, well, the one... Yeah. I mean, like, that was tax fault, 100%. Yeah, that was like, kind of like used that second of weakness to basically push him to commit suicide. Because he, so he had just shot Collie and Tack like jumped in to be like, here, here's my chance to get you to shoot yourself. So basically, like Tack, and I think you've probably already said this, but Tack is like feeding off of these deaths. So the yes. more people he can kill, the stronger he is getting. Right. And let's see, who else? I feel like there was also another part in that. No, it was basically just those two moms wanted yeah. to like smack them. Um, like, I appreciated that the kid, Susie, who yeah. was, like, with the other twin or was, like, friends with the twins, um, was sort of, like, mommy being a bitch and, like, <laughs> stayed right. with everybody. Like, I yeah. liked that because F, the F off. Yeah. Um, did she die? She did. Oh, because, right, she, like, walked right out and was like, cool. <laughs> She went yeah, full Karen. Stupid. <laughs> she never go that. full Karen. <laughs> um, she deserved that. So yeah. I mean, A because she was Karening. No, B because she was Karening, but A because she was like a total sea bag about every other situation. Yeah. Um, but then the the twins mom, I mean, obviously, like the it ended up being like what Seth needed. Yeah. Which I guess is good. But, like, that whole situation, how, like, Cynthia and Steve had come to try to help Jim, and, like, it was just, like, that was all just really overwhelming. I'm glad she was dead, because, like, but when, like, the way that he organized that for the reader, like, you know, shit is going down, and Jim and Audrey have gone to, like, get Seth, and you're like, this is gonna happen, this is gonna be great, they're gonna get Seth, and then you're like, oh, she picked up the gun, and then Cynthia and Steve are like, fuck, she picked up the gun, and then... And, and it another, was just like that was pretty intense. I appreciate it another way with his writing was he gave us this like he did it both with the green belt and then he did it with the final scene where he gave us a little bit of somebody else's perspective before yes. him, right? So it was like Cynthia and J- or Cynthia and Steve were like running to the house and they heard the gunshots. Yeah. The gunshots, right? And then we go to John who's in the house and his perspective and he like comes out and sees Cammy Reed is there. And, you know, this all happens, this all happens, but you know, those gunshots are coming. Right. And then Mm -hmm. she she kills both Audrey and Seth. And you're like, fuck, I knew it was coming, but like, it wasn't going to happen. Maybe she missed The way that it's like layered, the way that he layers things is really nice. I will say too, like, I'm going to jump to the very beginning um, about how like he, (laughs) he did a really neat job of being like with the paper boy and with Mary John jackson johnson whatever um with the whole like they didn't know they were gonna die or like they did you know i thought like 
I mean, it was sad because it kind of like that paper boy. And like, yeah, so much going for him. He was going to be like pitching in that, short short stop. Stop in that game. Yep. And like, yep. so cute. But I appreciated the like, from a narrative standpoint, yeah. Let me not get too attached. That he, was was te- he was telling you, like, you know, it was stuff. Spoiler was gonna, alert. <laughs> yeah, stuff was going to get real for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, man. No, there was like, I, I like, I honestly like this book a lot more than I thought I would. Like, there was just so much. It was very rich. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, you know, again, when you first start with these 21 different people and you're like, oh my God, like, who's this? Who's John? Who's Gary? Mm -hmm. Who's that? But like, you get to learn them more and more, you know, like Brad Josephson there was talking about like, yeah, how he's too fat to be running. I was going to say, he always jokes about his weight. (laughs) (laughs) And and like, just they add those little, little pieces that, that really make you connect with them. Well, and the like interactions between the neighbors, like you see kind of their ups and downs, like you had said before, where like, you know, at the beginning, all the people that seemed like totally normal ended up being like, not so normal, and then kind of vice versa, or whatever. Yeah. And I think that was accurate, like, in times of like, super high stress, of course, people are gonna like react a little differently. Like, I don't remember which mom it was, I think it was Susie's mom that like, called her the n-word and like shit got real (laughs) like that was something I didn't like necessarily expect to come out in yeah but I mean why wouldn't I I should have expected it but it did show like how the the stress of the situation kind of shows people's true colors right like oh I'm the nice neighbor who like would bring cupcakes over oh I'm also a fucking racist yeah yeah so yeah like I just again I know we've talked about how great Belinda is but like she's just so chill about (laughs) everything and like I gotta say like the strong female lead kind of character that I am always drawn to in everything like she totally embodies that for me and I just I really liked their relationship like I was very glad that they both survived because I was very worried for a moment there when people just started dying willy-nilly yeah um but they were the people that I felt like the couple that didn't have any like secrets yeah that's the wrong word to use maybe but like they seemed very in touch with who they were as people and who they were as a couple. Whereas like everybody else kind of was like, like the two, well, Gary and his wife clearly show was like, fuck well, up. they hated each other too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Gary was having an affair and yeah. um, the Carver, is that their name? The Carvers, I, yeah. Okay. Yep. I took the map away. Um, <laughs> but like, there was some weird shit there. Also like that the parents, like the kid, the little they boy like the girl. I was like, yeah. GTFO with that. Yeah, yeah no. That he, kid is annoying. Literally every character that interacted with that young child was like this little snide brat. And, and then the mother dies. Like yes. trying to like pry the boy away from one of the Reed twins, I think, while standing up while bullets are flying everywhere and gets hit with a bunch of shrapnel, basically, because she's an idiot and just doesn't stay down. Like Which, like, you deserve that. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent. I felt bad. The kids, both those kids survived, though, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Both the kids survived. Uh, their dad. I feel bad for the little sister or the older sister. She's great, and I yeah. feel like now she's going to be stuck with this like fucking bratty kid. Oh yeah, no, that's definitely a situation where you ask for separate custody. Oh, for 
like my aunt and uncle will take you and my yeah. godparents will take you my aunt and uncle will take you and i will be a feral child on the street Ooh. rather than live with you ralphie because oh my god that was terrible maybe cynthia will adopt her <laughs> nice um i did write some fan fiction on that I did think Cynthia was another strong female lead too, where she was just this person who started working at the easy stop a week earlier. And she's like jumping in front of the two kids willing to take the shot. So great. I like that when the question of like the, who did you relate to or whatever, what character was like your fave, that was like my absolute first. Yeah, She was just so, I don't know, like calm, cool and collected to a certain extent, sort of like Belinda, but like, with a more, I don't want to say more go get them, but she had like, I don't know, the, the, a level headedness, but also the like rush in of like a young, I mean, what was she, teens, 20s? Yeah, a little full headedness for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Think, yeah. Like, act now, think later kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. But like she wasn't dumb. Right. So she, her like thinking now or acting now was clever. Yeah. I liked her. To close that up, the what happened to the Sodersons, I was very happy with, like Gary and Marielle there. So, and like another gross thing, like how she basically almost gets her arm shot off, right? And then they're like, okay, they get her in the house and they're like, we need to like put this uh, tourniquet, her. tourniquet on it, on the shoulder. And as they do that, the arm just falls off into Kali's And eyes. then they put it in the fridge. <laughs> what else are you going to do with it? I mean, yeah, agreed. In agreed. In the, I probably also would put a severed arm in the fridge in the moment. Yeah, but she was also like a super bitch. So I was happy oh, yeah. when she died. She and then insane. And then when Gary got eaten by the coyote with people fingers. That uh, was great. I, I like too. I, again with like the imagery like it I think it was because it was so the way he like I'm gonna call it bird's eye view again but that's not quite right but like the way you felt like a legit observer yeah made it so satisfying that's kind of gross to say because we got it but yeah. like it was because he was also kind of a douche <laughs> yes yes he was he was yeah. pretty, not the cool guy you want to get a drink with that you first no. thought he was no no um so kind of the last character we didn't touch about on as much would be audrey um and i did this specifically i wanted to take the time to talk about her kind of the full circle on her as, own as you said when you first meet her uh she's just st- standing topless in her screen door staring blankly at the world <laughs> Uh, from her house and then we learn more and more of what she went through uh you know what her husband herb went through before he eventually uh killed himself with the help of tack uh on that one as well so i wanted to just talk about everything she went through what emotions you felt for and how you thought about her whole character arc and how how bachman or stephen king did that uh did her justice or not so yeah, I mean her the character arc wise, like at the very beginning, I was like, who the F is this? Yeah. Like creepy lady in the door, like this is gonna be weird. And then like you find out why she is that way, and you're like, Oh girl, like <laughs> I am so sorry you have yeah. had to deal with this for so long. And I think too, like we talked about before, the journal entries from her were like so key to for the reader to understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, and just like really, even her um, letter to her friend, 
Yeah. Um, there's just all sorts of stuff that I feel like she she's special. <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting for me reading that. Um, read about basically what somebody goes through in an incredibly toxic, abusive, damaging relationship. Um, this is obviously different because it's her nephew, well, a being inside of her nephew that's doing it. And so that was something that I, I was really happy that the, that Bachman showed was that she wasn't willing to give up on Seth. Yeah. Like, even when she escaped from them to like tell the neighbors what was going on and get help. When Cammy Reed was starts talking about killing Seth, she was like, no, we're not going to kill Seth. Like Seth is still a good child. And, and they talk about that where the eyes, right? Where it's Seth, he has browner eyes. And when it's tack, they're like yeah, almost completely so, black. black. So she can tell who's inhabiting the body um, or who's talking to her. And like, you know, Seth would still be that like loving boy. The problem was he just wasn't there that often. Right. Um, so I, I really appreciated that too, where you see everything she's going through where tack would cause her to hit herself or pinch herself or go through various states of undress or just walk into walls and, and, and do all these terrible things. And he was doing the same thing to Herb uh, while Herb was around. And it's, you see all these things and you just like, you can't help but feel for her and, and oh also just think of how strong she is to, to keep trying to basically she could have easily run away, but she's trying to get Seth out of that as well. She's trying to save Seth, which is like incredible. I like super appreciated that they had the ability to like communicate with each other in their own way with like the, I know she called it the tack phone, which was like that red play school phone yeah. in her like mental safe space. Um, but that like Seth and her managed to communicate too was just so, especially because I think for her, it was probably really exciting uh, on some level because Seth was so non-communicative in, in real life and then was so like able to communicate well in this like telepathy. I don't know what you'd call it really, but like yeah. Dream that aspect. Thing. Like, yeah. I don't know if it wasn't a dream, it was real. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know what you'd call it. Like yeah. the the mental connection, the brain space. Yeah, yeah sure. I don't know. They have a connection for sure. Um, I did wonder though, like, what about Audrey made her different from her? Like being able to get away from tech, and I say get away and like have a mental space to go. But like, I just I really felt bad for her, obviously, and also for Herb like killing himself and like getting basically physically drained. Yeah. Like he's losing weight. He's losing strength. He's just tired all the time because tack is like sucking him dry. But like, what is it about Audrey? I just, it was curious. I don't know. And maybe, maybe there's an aspect of like genealogy because like Seth is like blood related to her, not to Herb. Yeah. That's a confusing way to say it. Herb. So on that note, um, the thing that I thought was the difference between Audrey and Herb, and I may have misread this, but I, one of the big things with Tack and one of the things with this book, as you read it, is that there's a lot of like sexuality in it, right? Yes. They, they talk about different things and they talk about horny boys and girls and Tack is a horny extraterrestrial vampire energy demon thing. Yeah, like, I'm not sure, was he supposed to be a demon, or was he supposed to be some sort of, like... 
I'm not 100% sure about what the, the, the essence of Tack was, but they did Ancient say, evil. They did say he was, he was absorbing energy from Herb, but he was also trying to inhabit Herb because- To he, bang her. He wanted to have sex with Audrey. Tack did. And yeah. because Seth was an eight-year-old boy, he wasn't able to- Physically capable of doing thank, it. Thank God, that'd be a weird fucking book. I don't want to read Oh God, it. no, thank you, Richard. Uh, so I think that was why he focused on Herb instead of Audrey. And then at one point, I believe he spoke about how Audrey was necessary while he was gaining power to care for the shell that was Seth. To like make sure they were fed mm-hmm. and, and, and all that. Like I, I think- that- she- that seems like extremely misogynistic to me. To be like, oh, a <laughs> woman needs to care for him. So, like, I, Herb seemed like he was a very good caretaker, too. He like, does. he loved Seth. Like, he bought him toys. Like, Seth, Seth, not Texas. Yes, yes. Like, that just makes me sad for Herb. I, I agree. And it could have been something where maybe he kept Audrey around again because he wanted to bang her. So he thought maybe some other opportunity would come around. Well, and I, so here's the thing. I, I get what you're saying, but, and I, and I think there's definitely validity to it in terms of like wanting to keep her around for the whole sexual grossness. But also, like, I thought there were a few times when Audrey, maybe in her journal, had said something about how, like, basically she was less susceptible to tax whatever. So I think, and she talked about it, what you were talking about with the the play school phone and stuff like that. Yeah. But towards the end, it becomes pretty apparent that Seth had to have helped her create that space. Okay. Okay. So that's like really the connection between Seth and Audrey that kept Audrey alive. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think Tack could have killed her if he wanted to, but maybe that was another thing where he was keeping Seth happy as well. I don't know. But sure, I, sure, sure. Because, and like Seth obviously knew about it. Like he told her a few times, like, you need to escape. You need to go to your place. Yes. Yes, um, and, and then he also knew when to call her back from it. So, right. yeah, okay, no, I, that, that's a, that's valid. That's a totally good point because, like, I mean, I don't think that Seth would be like. I think if if Tack was like Seth, I need to kill one of these people. He'd right. have to choose, and of course, he would choose Audrey. Like that totally makes sense. I mean, not that that happened, but like that's totally valid. And again, like I was thinking more along the lines of like there's the actual like blood relation between Seth and Audrey. Like maybe there was some sort of like deeper connection. I mean, no, no, there is like, she cares for him. She loves him like a son, even though he's a nephew, like that's. And and well, Herb was really great with him. And he was, um, maybe they're also relying on that relationship to, to stand up to people when they want to kill Seth. Right. Maybe Herb would be like, (laughs) I don't know. Not really my nephew. I really like I oh, I was just so like reading the the journal entries and like the backstory of like what was going on in that house was just like rough. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I um, mean like especially because Seth like was this sweet sweet boy like so unassuming and then there's like all the things that tack can do that are just to live on like constant eggshells like always terrified that you're gonna do something to yourself like that's and I think another thing that gives the writing credit or credence is like obviously not to that extent but I'm sure there are people that have children that go through that where he loses the power wagon or, or the, the the people next door yes, and like 
his lips. favorite power wagon. And that week was like hell for them. Like, I'm sure there's situations like that where the kid loses in real life, where the child loses his toy. And like, you just know it's going to be a problem. And like, it, it's like that times 10,000 because, because that child not- can make you run into walls. <laughs> I was going to say, you're fearing for your safety. It's like, yes, this could be hellish because my kid is going to be unhappy and a pain in the ass, like yeah. be the bitch for a week, or they're going to make me break my arm yeah. or fall down the stairs. Like, and, and that was another thing that because, because of that power wagon being stolen, they find out it was the neighbor's kid and they tried to keep it from Seth slash Tack. They eventually find out and then Tack takes revenge takes revenge on that family until they leave basically breaking all their windows destroying their car pushing the wife down the stairs like all this terrible stuff until they leave do you think that that was like because that kind of the hobarts is that what they were yeah the hobarts um the hobarts like the retribution against the hobarts was like kind of the beginning of him sapping i mean of course he was sapping uh herb but like extending his reign like i I don't know do you think that that was like the the tipping point um i think think it was his plan all along to fuck the neighborhood yeah i think i think when he killed herb he probably got the most power out of that Mm, Uh, but but he did did say he like lived off of fear and other stuff too so i could see him with the with the hobart hobarts living in fear probably gaining power from that um, right. so it, it could be I think he was just always gaining power as they went because obviously the Audrey and, and Herbert being more and more afraid of him as well so he was oh also just growing over time yeah. it's crazy that it was like two years like I went back to check the date that it was like two years that it took for this to happen that but, was speaking of the like two year time frame and just like the the backstory of like tack and getting into Seth and stuff, basically like the deathbed confession of that guy from the mine yeah. was like super interesting. I was like, fuck, this is long. This is going to take me forever to get through. But I was like, oh my God, what? Yeah, all the stuff that happened in that mine. That was yeah. also like, fuck that. No, thank you. Well, totally fuck that. But I also like, and you know, we've said this many times, but it felt very, I was like, not proud of myself, but it was like very satisfying to like put the pieces together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to, yeah. to be able to read it. I just like really as much as it was weird in the moment, um, having those little snippets of, I'm going to call them interludes sure. was like really cool. Cause it gave you as a reader, like a different medium almost to like, put the pieces together put your detective cap hat on <laughs> so i would say too that was another horror movie moment where like uh <laughs> seth runs into that mine that they're not supposed to go into you take a couple steps in there you're like nah, i don't have a son anymore like you take a hundred steps in there and you're around bodies and like freaking skulls and shit that you definitely don't have a, you just walk back out that nope nope obviously this is a bad place nope sorry kid i miss you nope can we talk about his like family though? Because that is so sad. And I'm like really angry at Tech for having taken that away from him. Cause those, even his siblings loved him. They were so, so much. Happy like about poor it, yeah. Seth, man. Like, ah, uh, I mean, but, obviously uh, poor everybody else that his, he had to like <laughs> touch, but like 
Seth. Oh. But they talk about that too. And they talk about how Tack knew he had to separate him from his family because otherwise they would know, right? They would know too quickly before Tack could get enough power. Yes. So it's another one of the, you know, blame the terrible demon essence of Nevada gold mines. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that ancient evil, whatever it may be. Weird glowy lights. Yes. So the ending of, of Audrey's story and the ending of this book we see in another interlude where uh, this woman who we've never met is is writing a friend, basically telling her- In Vermont, her, writing a friend in Vermont. Was, yep, her friend was in Vermont, uh, writing uh, about this place she's staying at, this hotel that says it has these ghosts that are a few miles away. And that basically it describes the place where Audrey used to go and hide, her safe place. Her mind space. With her friend Jan that she went to in like 1982 or 72. Yeah, or when they were in college or something. Yeah, when right? they were in college. And basically these people are now seeing a ghost of a woman and her what they a believe is her son. son. Yeah. Oh, it's so cute. And they find little things left behind, including the action figure um, of the motor cops woman and a, a few other trinkets and things like that yes and then seth draws that picture or oh. that picture is found which we assume oh. seth has drawn. so that is why in spoilers i said it, they kill seth's body because did you think this was in the same world or do you think this is like another dimension where like they're just kind of they're like you know again like a D thing like they're coming in and out of like the astral plane and like they're in having oh. space and then winking out kind of so they're still their essence are still alive, but they're just kind of like, you know. That is a very good question. I didn't think of that. I just totally thought it was like them haunting that area. And it could have been in the same dimension. I just thought of that. I mean, they could. Yeah, be no, I like that idea though. Yeah. Like, um, I very much appreciated the letter at the end because it felt like it gave me some closure. I was very bummed when. Um, that bitch shot them. Can you read? Yep. Mm-hmm. That bitch. But I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe because it was like communicated to the reader as a ghost story that I felt very, it felt sufficient for them to be ghosts. But I kind of like the idea of them being like existing just like on a different plane of existence. So yeah. like they're there, they're like, you know, just kind of like flitting in and out. I just, I, I liked the idea of them being there specifically because that's just like super crush McGash and like <laughs> that they, and I, I don't know. I, I liked the, the letter, how it was like, <laughs> did you notice how it referenced Stephen King in the letter? <laughs> yeah. Which so yeah. that was funny. <laughs> um, but that they like, you know, they were, she was like trying to prove her point saying like oh well, it's got to be a real thing because everybody says they're wearing the same clothes and right, like the cowboy clothes. boots yeah. yeah and like that was just super cute like he i know that you know towards the end seth is basically like i mean not in his own words like fuck these things because they've just like totally lost their appeal for me like the, yeah, the regulators, regulators and all yeah, that and like all, that, all yeah. the things that basically tack had used to destroy his life yeah. or all these lives um i just thought it was really cute that like he maintained a little bit of 
or they both maintained a little bit of themselves. I mean, whether or not they're ghosts or existing somewhere else, I'm just glad they're together. Yeah. It was so cute. It was a nice way to give us a happy ending without it being a completely happy ending. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't really survive, but a bit of them did. So you have that to hold on to, which is nice. I did wonder very much what happened to the people in the neighborhood. Cause like the cops finally showed up and the fire department finally shows up and everyone's just like watching them. And they're all like clearly PTSD. Like (laughs) what is going on? Um, So I did have a lot of questions about like the folks in the neighborhood. Well, and the cops asked Johnny what happened and he said, renegades. And then he's like, I got to go play my guitar. I got to go play a song and I'm out of here. Okay, dude. I mean, I did like him a lot, but also, bro, like feeling should probably like talk this out with a therapist. (laughs) I thought it was fit. I mean, I thought it was great. It was fitting. It was totally fitting. It just left me... It left me a little bit like wondering, not necessarily sequel wise, because what are you going to sure. do with that? But like, gosh, these people have got to be fucked up. <laughs> yeah, no resale value in that neighborhood. Now. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, like one house, like completely burnt to the ground. At yeah, least that one. was the Hobart's house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, but no, but all of them, all of them are basically in pieces. Like, oh, like, shut up. Johnny yeah. was saying like, you know, hopefully I can find my guitar in the rubble. And like sit on the what's left of my porch and play it. Like, that was something that I thought was interesting though, because like from a an imagery standpoint, you know, there's like the in the green belt scenes yeah. scene when like the distance changes to the child's drawing. Basically, I guess what I'm getting at is like what was real and what wasn't. Because like clearly, like once the cop, you know, once things happened and Tack was like gone the cops came and like there were there were certain things that were still true yeah and things that were not and like how do you what makes the differentiation there so i think what they saw well yeah i guess that's tough so like they saw their houses change to like you know the homestead from bonanza and stuff like yes. that right but like the damage that was happening to them was still was happening to their homes. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like how, when, you know, they got attacked, they still got hurt. Hurt. So like, yes. I think they were in a different place, but like not, but not make sense. Like, yeah, I do. I do get what you mean. Yes. Yeah. So I so, guess, I guess like, it's kind of hard to parse out. Cause like you, and I think they, in the green belt, even brought this up. Like you just said, where, like was it Steve that got attacked by the coyote and he had like scratches and everything and then like yeah. they shot one of them and it deteriorated like super fast yeah or something like that and they were like oh well it's not even real and he was like bitch these are real <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, so like I get that the the destruction part of it is is following through to the world but I just like to be a cop that rolls up on that oh, scene, yeah, no. like, whoa, dude. Nope. That's a lot. Yep. No, thank you. No, no. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I'm, like, actually really surprised how much I liked it. <laughs> I enjoyed it, too. I was a little worried about that, again, because I picked this up in so middle school. So, whew, thank God that worked out. And again, like, I, I mean, I, I think we agreed that it's pretty likely you didn't even finish it the first time around. Correct. Yeah. Um, but that you even like got however far you did as a middle schooler, I would have been like, fuck, 
no. <laughs> I think a big part of it was the sexual thing. So I was like, okay, that's ooh, fair. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, pinching nipples. Cool, cool, cool. Wow. Is there anything else you want to cover before we move out of spoilers? I don't think so. Okay. So we're going to end. I, I was going to say, I think we got most of it. Uh, we're going to yeah. end spoilers on a fun note, a little bit different. So if eight to, eight to 12 year old Taja was being controlled by tack, what kind of characters would be attacking your neighborhood? Okay. Eight to 12 or what kind of like, what grades are you in at those ages? It's like third or fourth to like, say elementary school to like late elementary to middle school. Okay. Um, there'd definitely be like horses everywhere. <laughs> um, probably they wouldn't be. So here's the thing, like eight to 12 year old Taja would not be violent. <laughs> there'd definitely be horses involved. Yeah. Probably like um, characters from White Christmas, <laughs> Singing in the Rain, Man from Snowy River. <laughs> I wasn't like, I was never a kid that like watched Saturday morning cartoons. Like that's not. Yeah. I was like the weird kid who was like into, I don't want to call them classics, but like, again, I'm going to bring them back to Emily. Sinbad Emily, because (laughs) we were in like a fourth and fifth grade combo class or third and fourth, whatever. She was great about me. One year here, her and I and her younger brother dressed as the Three Musketeers. So probably the nice. Three Musketeers would be nice. involved. Yeah. God, I feel like I was a, I, I don't know. I think maybe my like obsessive, the obsessive part of my personality came out at a later age, but absolutely horses would be involved. Probably even maybe some Polly Pocket. Nice. Which would be yeah. weird because they're fucking tiny. <laughs> An <laughs> army of Polly Pockets. Um, yeah, I can't. I mean, I don't think that there was anything that I was like Seth, Seth level obsessed yeah. with that, like, I mean, aside from horses, but. Yeah, I was trying to think of that, like, as like what I was watching that much. Yeah. And I, I couldn't really think of that. Um, but like, I was thinking the toys I play with for me, it would be a nightmare because it'd be like G.I. Joe's. And Legos, and that just seems like you don't want to look outside and see that Again, stuff coming at you. Briar horses. It'd be real life horses and fake horses <laughs> coming at you. <laughs> oh but, boy. I don't know. I just, I, again, like obviously, if it was later on in life, we would have a much bigger things to pull from. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was trying to stick us around Seth's age. I think that that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that's totally fair. I think like if it was like middle school to high school would have totally been like Xena would have fucked you up. Xena would have been coming for you with a shotgun. Oh, no, thank you. At least it'd be a quick death, hopefully. Yeah, um, I mean, and she's hot. So it's, it's true. Win-win or win-lose. I don't know. Yeah. Lose, not great. lose, win. I don't know. He wouldn't kill you though. See, uh, well, I mean... She'd teach know. me a good lesson. I don't know. I guess like if Jack was involved, no holds barred. It's true. Um, so with that, we are going to move out of spoilers. Uh, Here it comes. Let's just spoilers. Moving out of spoilers. Keep it short this second time. Oh, I like that one. That was nice. Uh, it was the same as the first one, just much shorter. Uh, I, well, I liked the, yeah, it was good, yeah. succinct. Thank you. I'll keep them shorter from now on. Message is <laughs> Um, So moving uh, to finish up with the book, 
we have to talk about our scores or oh, yeah. what we would give it based on our scale. Oh my I God. Look at down this time. Is prepared. Tasha, go ahead and go first. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm going to give it a lucky number 13 for my actual yes. role. 13 is my lucky number. Um, and I'm going to give it a plus three for Arcana because that felt like the most applicable to this like weird fucked up situation of like ancient evil mystical killing machines. I don't sure. know what was going on. So that's a 16 total. Again, as I've said before, I liked this book like way more than I thought I would. At the beginning, I was sort of, I don't want to say I was slogging through it, but I was very like similar to how I was with Dark Tower or towards the end of where I stopped reading the Dark Tower series. Like kind of like, what is going on? Like, what is this? But then as the story progressed and like, as I got more into the interludes, and I was able to like piece things together I like got pretty invested I was like really pleased with the ending I thought I mean pleased enough with the ending it wasn't a feist bow um but it felt closed enough to be uh satisfactory it was um as my mother would say an elegant sufficiency wow okay yeah um no I I liked it a lot more than I thought I would but yeah I think I'd like actually tell somebody about this book wow that that's awesome first of all uh (laughs) I I can appreciate what you're saying I think like I felt a little slogged down in the beginning like I like you were saying like again 22 characters coming at us you're trying to like remember who's who and what's the difference between Johnny and Gary and Brad and all these different guys. But at the end of the day, as you move further into the book, because you put that time in in the beginning, because you put that time in with the interludes, uh, it makes the story that much more engaging and more exciting. And like, they were paying you off for putting in that investment. It wasn't yeah. one of those books where it made you remember all these names and then they disappear. Like, it was very cool to see. And I appreciated that. Um, for me, I gave it a 16 on my dice roll. And then I gave it a one plus one for survival because everyone did um, to round this up to a 17. Again, like you were saying, I did not know what we were getting into here. I did not remember what I had read about this, but coming across it in that bookstore, I knew it was something I wanted to revisit. And I knew the mystery of Bachman was kind of a cool thing to talk about to our 15 to 20 or so listeners. So (laughs) you learned something today too, hopefully, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, So yeah, for me, it's overall a 17. Um, And I would too, like now with more confidence, feel okay handing this out to somebody uh, and telling them to read it. So I mean, I know when you told me about it to begin with, you were a little reticent to be like, we should read this. Like, I think we should do it, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm glad we did because I really liked it. Yeah, me too. Um, I I, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed reading it. Again, a little bit of a slog in the beginning, but it's worth it. It it does pay off in the end. So that's nice. And like, Um, again, I know we've said it a few times, but like the imagery that King, Bogman, whatever you want to call him, creates in this is just like, yes, it's gory. But it's also like really satisfying in um, he's very capable of providing yeah. good visuals, which like I know we've talked about a few times in some other books. It's sometimes difficult to like really get there with what they're providing. And I didn't find that to be the case with this. It was like very immersive. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you put it perfectly where it felt like you were in the room with them, which was a cool feeling that you don't always get. Sometimes you feel like you're just yeah. reading a story or you're overlooking a story. And this felt like you were in the story, which was, mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot had to do with jumping around between the different people where it felt like you were just another one of them. Yes. Rather than just having some specific person tell you the story. So it was super cool. Absolutely. Um, when you felt but, like invested in it too. Yeah. Like surprisingly yeah. so. So if you've forgotten, because we've gone on so long, the book is called <laughs> The Regulators. Uh, it is it is released under Richard Bachman, uh, but it is a story by Stephen King. So check that out uh, if you skip spoilers and come back and listen to you later. So wrapping up the book, wrapping up the show, we're going to jump into current selection. Um, what are you reading now? Are you still working on The Fits and the Fool? Did you move on? Fool's I am Aaron. working on Fool's Errand. I um, paused it. Well, I like had started it and then read the regulators. Yeah. And then got into like a non-reading mode for a little bit. That um, happens. Yeah. And then I got back into it. And I like it's really nice going back and revisiting characters that like I really came to love in the Farseer trilogy. Um, I just got to the part, I'm not very far in, I'm only like 97 pages in. Um, I just got to the part where the fool comes to visit him. I'm like, they're just so cute. Like <laughs> the like love that they have for each other. I just, I'm, I'm really stoked to, I like, I kind of want it to speed up and like get to the good shit because yeah. like I know Robin Hobb can do that very well, but I also like trust that she has my best <laughs> you know what I mean like she's doing it right I just am yeah. impatient so yeah. like yeah I don't know I like was a little hesitant to start a trilogy situation or like something that was multiple but I, I just really love these characters <laughs> they're really great and I'm excited nice I have jumped back into Tortal uh, with um Protector of the Small so the the four books of Calandri, the squire. I'm uh, sorry, Calandri. I saw, I call her Caladri. Okay, I I mean well because it, at some point she shortens it to Kel. Yeah, thank God. Uh, so that made me feel better than the Dane Dine conversation we've had before. Oh God, yeah. Where this is cl- quite clearly her name is Kel. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. I can pronounce that. Uh, yeah, like, camera. Can we just like get with some real names here? Yes, come on. Let's keep them simple. So we have talked about this before, where our two B red pile uh, minus at thirty five. I think I said or thirty six somewhere up there. And uh, I'm trying to get it under thirty before I go to a bookstore. So I looked at these books for two reasons. One, they're they're quick, Wait. easy read. Um, and two, I thought I could burst through all four of them before we did this now I came up a little bit short I'm halfway through the third book uh, they do get twice the size like the first book and second book are like two yeah. and 250 and then it's like 400 and 400 so uh, how are you liking them so far I'm enjoying them I enjoy that uh we meet random not random but we meet characters from the past I like that Alana is just like a mystery character in there but obviously as the reader you can tell who's doing what who it is um, yeah I enjoy that she's now the squire of Raul, who is such a cool. She was really good. Oh guy God, yes. Oh, I need to reread back in this. Alana's time. Um, and then we get some glimpses. I was like grown up Jonathan when we remember him as a boy from the first um, Alana series. So, 
I appreciate that stuff. And then they sprinkle in some people like Danes, obviously their new mayor pops up every once in a while. So I, I enjoy that. And it's like, new stories but again with something that you're comfortable with so they don't yeah. have to do extreme explanation about what you're dealing with or who you're dealing with so um I've been enjoying it like I said I, I'm about halfway through the third book so I'm probably going to push that in the fourth book before we get into before I read the, the next, next book, book for the podcast yeah because I can um, turn them, I'll probably turn them over by this weekend I think oh yeah they're they're very easy to read I will also say I'm listening to a book as well so I want to point that out it's called Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemison. Oh, um, oh yeah it's yeah, yeah. second yeah, yeah, it's the second in this series, the book, the Broken Earth series, I think it's called. The first one I just finished um, recently was called Fifth Season. Yeah. And at first it took me like a while to get, usually like with audiobooks, I like dive in or I don't. <laughs> and this one like took me a little bit to get into, but like actually very cool. And this is, so this nice. is the second one in the series. Um I I think you should read it and I can't give it to you because it's audio, but like you should, we should look for it at a bookstore. Um, because I mean, it, all, all three of them received rave reviews. So yeah. And they've won both, all three of them won Nebula yeah. awards, which are yeah. like, yeah. it's unheard of for like all three of a series to win them. Anyway, she, um, you've read one of her books. I thought, yeah. Um, weren't a huge fan, which I totally understand because I feel like her style is odd to say the least. Like the first book, the fifth season was like three storylines, like A, B, and C plot, right? Find out that all A, B, and C plot are the same person. Just different times. Which was like, yes, which was like super interesting, but like took me three quarters of the book to realize like which is I mean cool but also a little frustrating oh it's like it was like the first watch of the witcher season one right spoiler alert uh the time frames are off oh my gosh that was like so confusing to recognize that there was different time frames yeah and it was a little similar to this but then like now that I kind of like know that that's the case the second book is a little bit more easily digestible it's also not skipping time as much but like it's neat okay it's like i'm i'm more invested in it than i thought i would be nice good all right well um i'll have to check that out and speaking of checking that out what do you have for random recommendation this is like a super rando as they have been lately it's called in a sunburnt country by bill bryson And it's basically, so if you're not familiar with Bill Bryson, he's basically like a travel writer. So he wrote A Walk in the Woods, which I think is probably his like most famous book or I'm a stranger here myself. This one specifically is about his travels to Australia, which is like my country, the country of my heart. (laughs) Um, I have been obsessed with Australia since I was... I don't know, probably eight to 10 year old Taj or 12 year old Taj would be like, tack would be attacking with Australia, so which koala, would actually be terrifying. on horseback. Yeah, yeah, it would be like all of the terrible things that can kill you in Australia would come and kill you here. No, um, that would be terrible. But um, he, Bill Bryson's just like, actually, I know you don't really like comedy writers um, <laughs> and I wouldn't classify him as such. He is definitely a travel writer, but he is funny. And it's just, it's really 
enjoyable. I mean, like if you like traveling in real life and because of COVID you can't, maybe a travel writer book is the way to go. <laughs> I just came up with that, but it totally jibes. Could have sold um, millions of copies. Yeah, I might need to like reread it now. <laughs> not going anywhere for a bit. But yeah, it. Uh, I can't even tell you how long ago I read this. It was before I went to Australia, but it's just great. I mean, what an amazing place. And he's just a really great voice to express how amazing it is. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Again, I appreciate that our random recommendations are truly random. Uh, mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, I thought about doing Stardust and I was like, do that. Do that one instead. Nice. Nice. So for our next podcast, we have Dune uh, by Frank Herbert. So we decided to read this. It's uh, it's, first of all, your synopsis, your Sully synopsis is what's on the cover of mine. Oh my God. Are we calling it that from now on? Because please. Uh, It's on the cover of mine and it just says science fiction's supreme masterpiece. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what else you need to read a book. Wow! So uh, I believe Dune was originally written in the '80s as well, but there is a new movie coming out next month. So this is a it. timely podcast book. Yes. So while the book maybe doesn't live copyright, up to the frame, it does. Copyright 1965. <laughs> okay, way off. Holy hell! I'm amazed by that. That was surprising to me. Holy hell. Okay. So we're reading a book from the 60s. Uh, get it on. But it's like a classic. It is a classic. Uh, this is what my dad asked me about if I've ever read it. So I'm excited cool. to actually get into it. I am excited too because like part of me feels like I've read it before because the copy you have looks familiar to me. Like I think I had or maybe my dad had a copy and I either that, that cover I probably it's probably on my shelf when I bought this. Nice. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah. But anyway, I'm excited. So yeah, so next episode will be on Dune. Uh, we will be covering that in two weeks' time. So it will actually be October by then. Uh, hey. But, uh, we're hoping to get this out. We're recording on Friday the 17th, hoping to get it out the 18th. So if you hear this, wish Taja a happy birthday. That's right. As it will be her birthday. So with that, two hours plus. Thanks for hanging in there and learning about the regulators. Uh, Richard Bachman, Stephen King, all the great things. Uh, this has been the ABC pod, the adult book club with Taja and Russell. Keep reading. Keep reading. Keep <laughs> reading.